Reader's Digest presents Hollywood 360 with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry man. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including showbiz news, classic radio shows, movie reviews, trivia contests, and celebrity interviews. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll present a classic radio mystery episode of The Whistler. But first, let's enjoy a quarter-hour episode of Vic and Sade from New Year's Eve of 1940, titled Howard Has a New Harness, starring Art Van Harvey. Well, sir, it's late afternoon as our scene opens now, and here in the living room of the small house halfway up the next block, we find Mr. Victor Gook and young Mr. Rush Gook. Vic lounges in his easy chair, staring vacantly at the bookcase, while Rush, on the Davenport, reads aloud from a volume of stirring fiction. Sir Lieutenant Clinton Stanley showed no trace of fear as he watched the slow approach of the counterfeit and South Sea Islanders. Lady Margaret, on the other hand, was frantic with apprehension. We shall be assassinated, sweetheart, she quavered. Perhaps so, rejoined the handsome young officer, but not without a fight. Shall we enjoy a hug and kiss before we are attacked by these rascals? The beautiful woman gazed down at her fashionable French spats. As you please, she murmured, and Third Lieutenant Stanley's face glowed ruddily with hungry anticipation. At this moment, the chief of the counterfeit and South Sea Islanders emitted a horrible shriek. Mom is home. Huh? Is she? I heard the back door open. <laughs> counterfeit and South Sea Islanders, maybe. Here it is. Let's invite him to share a hug and a kiss. Rush? Hi. Your father in there? Not right now, Sadie, but I'm expected any minute. I stepped around the corner to get my shoes half-soled. Uh, Lady Margaret stifled a little scream. Hurry up with that hug and kiss, snapped her sweetheart, extending his arms and thrusting forward his chin. The beautiful oh, woman... heck with that. Greetings, Dr. Sweets. Greetings. How much does harness cost? Harness? Horse harness. That is the most peculiar question to her that a fella out of a blue sky. Do you know? What horse harness costs? Uh-uh. You rush. It seems to me I did know at one time. I believe I asked Harry Plink down at the lumber company. The Seen price. Mr. Gumpox today? No. Quite a grand sight. Really? I bumped into him in the alley just now. His horse is all decked out in fancy new harness. Indeed. Expensive-looking harness. Brass doodads on the bridle and trash. I chatted with Mr. Gumpox a minute and asked him what on earth, and he said the harness was the gift of an anonymous donor. <laughs> An anonymous donor. Well, don't look at me. I have well, you know who I suspect, don't you? Jackson L. Cunningham, alias Dave Garraway of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the man with the light gray trousers. Uncle Fletcher. Big pardon? I suspect Uncle Fletcher. Go so far as to say I know it's Uncle Fletcher. Sounds just like him. Hmm. Don't it sound just like him? Well, I'd say so, ma'am. Of all the individuals I'm acquainted with that present the garbage man with fancy horse harness for his horse, Uncle Fletcher... Bill's the bill, exactly. Here's what Mr. Gumpox told me. 
he said this enormous package box arrived by express. Inside was the fancy harness. And the only clue to who sent it was a little card that said from an anonymous donor. Howard's harness was in tatters. Sure. Mr. Gumpax was even using chunks of clothesline to hold it together. Sure. And Uncle Fletcher admires Mr. Gumpox. Uncle Fletcher admires Mr. Gumpox, and Uncle Fletcher's got a heart as big as a tub, and Mr. Gumpox has been just terrible, terrible nice to him since he moved here from Dixon. And I'll just bet anybody 85 cents Uncle Fletcher sent away and bought that expensive harness for Howard. No, I wouldn't doubt it. I know it. You seem upset, Kidjo. Well, I am upset. You should see that harness Howard's got on once. Brass thingamadoodles all the way up and down his back. The do funny in his mouth is a, uh, what you call a do funny a horse holds in his mouth? Bit. Well, that do funny looks like silver. And the bridle and the lines and trash are made out of the heaviest, richest, most expensive looking leather I ever saw in my life. Person would think Howard was a circus horse. Why, I, I bet several hundred dollars. You bet the new equipment costs several hundred dollars? Well, it could, couldn't it? Possibly. I haven't anything to go by in such a Oh, time. you should see it once. Why, maybe a thousand dollars. Oh, come now, kid. Well, For a thousand dollars, you could buy a harness, horse, wagon, ice cream cone, suit of clothes, ton of coal, dish of asparagus. Not always, Dove. I've heard of cowboy saddles that cost five thousand dollars. Five thousand dollars for just a saddle. You have such a saddle upstairs, no doubt. No, but I've read in magazines. Yeah, about a fellow that put on his hat and then pulled his hat down over his ears. Sure, I read the same magazine. Chuck's kiddo, Uncle Fletcher's about as wise a bird as they come. Oh, he has his eccentricities and all, but when it comes to shrewdness... Uh-huh. Who was going to send us 11 barrels of oysters? Who was going to send us a dozen rails from the Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy Railroad that would have weighed several hundred tons? Uncle Fletcher, that wise old bird, that shrewd fella. Okay, but in this instance... In this instance, he bought the garbage man a present that I'll bet you my undershirt cost lots and lots of money. It's his money. Mm -hmm. Russia's money and Russia's savings account down at Russia's bank is Russia's money. But do we allow Rush to drop in? Well, you're talking time? about Rush now. Uncle Fletcher is a different package of oyster crackers. Uncle Fletcher is my uncle, and I'm the only relative in this town. He's got to look after him. I feel responsible, Vic. I don't say he's childish and simple in the head and has to have a nurse or anything, but I do say he needs... needs a... needs... Supervision. Supervision. That's it, Willie. Supervision. I say he needs supervision. You think he'd stand for any supervision? I notice when his landlady, Mrs. Keller, tries any high-class supervision, the old boy jumps on her like a load of bricks. That's true. That's true, but... Uncle Fletcher is gentle and obliging and anxious to please, but if he feels the iron hand in the velvet glove tapping him on the shoulder, he gets up on his hind legs. Well, that's true, Vic. That's perfectly true, and that's the reason why I'm upset. Like I say, I'm his niece and I feel responsible for his actions. But how can I go about being responsible? If he feels like going to work and giving the garbage man a present that costs $69,000, my hands are tied. Yes, I'm afraid they are. Must I stand by and watch him do crazy stuff? Well, I think you exaggerate the crazy stuff he does. 
Now, Vic, you should see that new harness of Howard's. I'd like to. <laughs> Howard feel pretty proud in his new outfit, ma'am. Well, <laughs> just more horns strutting along the alley. Person to take him for a circus horse. Person actually would. How about Mr. Gumpax? I bet he feels like the dude. Oh, got his chest puffed out six miles. I bet. You know that new sign he's got tacked on the side of the garbage wagon? And no riders? Yeah. Well, he's added to that sign. In little letters up above the big ones, it says, We cordially invite. We cordially invite? Uh-huh. We cordially invite no riders? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> we cordially invite no riders. And the sign is scrubbed and polished till who laid the chunk. Kid, you, you don't know what Uncle Fletcher can afford and what he can't afford, do you? Oh, I don't know how much money he's got, no. Well, there you are. Maybe he's rich as my undershirt. He could be. He's always been awful close-mouthed about his affairs. Bess and I have talked about it many a time. Whether he's real well-fixed or whether he's just got enough to get by on, we haven't the slightest notion. Okay, fine. I say that if a man could handle his own business without assistance or interference through the years... It shows he's pretty capable in the common sense department. I say so, too. Mm, I appreciate how you mean. Of course, you figure as his niece. It's more or less up to you to see that he don't stub his toe or involve himself. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. We'll say no more about it. I'm convinced Uncle Fletcher knows what he's doing. All right. But next time he pulls any fancy stunts like this, I am going to doctor up some scheme to make him behave. You have to trot to the store, Sonny Jim. Okay. Right now? Well, I'll hop to the kitchen and fix the list. Okay. Come when I holler. Okay. What's the sign say on Gumpox's garbage wagon? <laughs> we cordially invite no riders. <laughs> A puzzling notice to the public. <laughs> yeah. We cordially invite no riders. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have to worry about Uncle Fletcher. No, he can take care of himself. Mm, sharp as a tack. Well, I'll say. Want me to read some more, Third Lieutenant Stanley? Uh-uh. It starts getting exciting. Don't bother. They have a big fight. Read it to me some other day. Uh, the handsome young officer rolled up his sleeves and trouser legs, preparatory to smiting the leader of the counterfeiting South Sea Islanders. Lady Margaret hovered at a little distance, blubbering softly. Hey, you, how about that good old hug and kiss? Cried Third Lieutenant Stanley, suddenly. And the beautiful woman... Trotted across the clearing, her china blue eyes aglow. Which concludes another brief interlude at the small house halfway up in the next block. There you go. That is a, a New Year's Eve broadcast from 1940 of Vic and Sade. Hope you enjoyed that. Mike, you got a little uh, trivia for me on, on uh, Gilligan's Island? I just have some basic, uh, some more facts for you. I could play some uh, trivia games with you, but... Um, your old friend June Foray is going to be. Ah, uh, she June was. Foray. She was on there for an for an issue. Really? An um, she was, and uh, Strother Martin was on. Yeah, Strother uh, Martin. Once again, the uh, former Cubs and Dodgers uh, manager Dim Lefevre. Yeah. Was on as well. And wow. Then, do you recognize this voice? What voice? Honey, I think my tummy's reminding me it's time for breakfast. Ah. Yeah, sounds familiar. Who is it? That's Winnie the Pooh. Oh, that's Sterling Winnie. Holloway was yeah. also on <laughs> Island. Oh, I remember that. I remember when he was on Gilligan's Island. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. 
He was on. Episode. And uh, Phil Silvers uh, was sure, another one. A lot one. of guests on that show. Uh, Harold Hecuba. I remember Ginger was uh, doing the show for Harold What Hecuba I never could that. understand it was a three-hour tour, right? <laughs> three-hour three tour. Why did they have so many clothes? <laughs> three-hour tour, tons and tons of clothes, and all the people that made it onto that island, right. and no one ever told anybody about it. It's just... Well, it's a little, uh, it's a little uh, suspended belief there. Well, there was, you know, when when Harold Hecuba was there, he, you know, the castaways came up with this great idea for his new production, so he didn't want anyone to know about it. Don Rickles was on the show. Yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of these people would get there, and then Ronway Feldman didn't know how to get back. Yeah. You know, he, he tried <laughs> right. to do it. <laughs> All right, let's take a break, and we'll have more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 brought to you by Reader's Digest after these important messages. Geico applauds your inner road name. A slow clap goes out to your biker alter ego. You might be mild-mannered Michael in the office, the guy known for raising his hand in meetings, but out on the open road, it's Motor Mike. Geico supports you and your bike, Motor Mike, because beyond cars, Geico insures motorcycles, those glorious vroom-vroom machines. With 24-7 customer service and great rates, the only thing you'll be raising from now on is a heck of a good time. So head out on the highway and make that road yours, Mike. Make it yours. Geico Motorcycle. See how much you could save. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Brought to you by Reader's Digest. All right, it's time now for The Whistler, one of the best mystery series of all time. Ran for a long, long time on radio, sponsored by Signal Oil. This is from February 17, 1947. It's called A Woman's Privilege. It stars Betty Lou Gearson. You will hear Bill Foreman as the Whistler, also in the cast, John McIntyre. Here is part one now of the Whistler. The Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. That whistle is your signal for the Signal Oil Program... The Whistler. I am the Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Yes, friends, it's time for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, rated by independent research, the most popular West Coast program. In gasoline, you know, it takes extra quality to go farther. And Signal is the famous go-farther gasoline. So look for the Signal circle sign in yellow and black that identifies signal service stations from Canada to Mexico. And now the Whistler's strange story, A Woman's Privilege. In the drawing room of a palatial home in Newport, hang a pair of priceless oil paintings, one of an Italian nobleman, the other his wife. The surfaces are cracked, the frames old and worm-eaten, but the colors are as fresh and brilliant as if they were painted yesterday. There's a strange connection between the paintings and a sordid, ugly scene in a New York police station not far from the East River. 
It was very late. And in the next room, a homicide lieutenant was grilling a suspect. The charge was murder. Any luck? Yeah, he's coming along. Brady, get to him? Give him five more minutes. The guy's ready to break now. Huh. You know, I can't help feeling there's more to this than the guy's telling. Something that maybe even he doesn't know. Yes, it was more than a simple murder. More than the homicide detail or anyone else would ever uncover. It was the story of a traveling art broker named John Winters. Of a casual trip to the picturesque Italian seaport of Venice. Of the unbelievable, stunning moment in his hotel room when a quiet little artist named Giulio Donati put a quarter of a million dollars in the palm of his hand. Well, Senor Winters... What do you think? Well, it's pretty hard to believe, Donati. <laughs> but uh, seeing is believing, eh? Tell me, what do you think it would bring on the American market? I don't know. It's been so long since anything like this. Ah, but you do know, Senor Winters. At this moment, your head is spinning with figures. Well, after all... Of I... course. So you will agree I'm giving it to you for almost nothing. When I ask only $75,000. $75,000 for an original Montaigne. I think you're being very reasonable. Ah, thank you, senor. Too reasonable. Eh? What's wrong with it? <laughs> Still skeptical, eh? You're very hard to convince, senor Winters. Suppose I leave it with you for, uh, say, uh, 24 hours so you can examine it closely. You're pretty sure of yourself, Donati. I would not have come to you if I weren't sure the painting would pass the inspection of an expert. Your reputation as a specialist on Montaigne is known all over the continent. Yes, well, this is a Montaigne if I ever saw one, but 75,000, it's... There will be many, senor, who will say it's Montaigne's best work. I'd agree with them. It is. <laughs> What's funny about that? Uh, you flatter me. What? Uh, you see... I painted it myself. You what? I wanted you to know that. It took me many months. Wait a minute. You're telling me that you... I painted it myself, senor. But the technique, the style... Ah, they were difficult to master. Uh, the oil's hard to find. The aging process... Ah, uh, oh, senor, it was hard work. But you see, it had its reward. Uh, is, uh, this the only one? Oh, no, I completed that pair. The other was sent a week ago to a New York broker, a C.L. Brickley. I expect to hear from him tomorrow. Does he know about this one? Of course. I informed him in a confidential letter. Well, I should think you'd keep it under your hat. Forgery's a serious business. Oh, please. <laughs> they are not forgeries. I claim only to paint in the manner of Mantegna. Uh, I intended to pawn off a forgery. I wouldn't have been so frank. But you know what's going to happen. This Brickley will peddle that picture as an original. Senor, what you people do with my paintings is your own business. I am an artist, not a forger. <laughs> However, I think you will find me uh, discreet enough. <laughs> and now I must go. You may examine the picture as closely as you want, senor. Where can I reach you? My studio, 11 Plaza Franchetti. Good. Before noon, eh? Right. Good day, Donati. Good day. Si, senor? 
A long-distance operator. Uh, I want Mr. Wilkin Potter, person-to-person, Chatelaine Hotel, Interlaken, Switzerland. Wait a minute, Potter. I'll tell you again. It's the McCoy, an original Montaigne. He's pulling your leg. No one in his right mind would let a Montaigne go for 75000 I told you, he doesn't know what he's got. The artist only produced 35 paintings in his life. They're all catalog winters. Uh, There's no such thing. I saw it with my own eyes. Are you telling me I don't know a Montaigne when I see one? What about this Brickley? He bought the mate to it. Uh, John, I just can't believe All right, Potter. If you don't want to advance me the money, there's plenty of others. Uh... Don't do that. All right, John, it's a deal. Call me when you've closed and I'll wire the money. (laughs) That's better. You'll hear from me in a couple of hours. Well, John, Donati was right, wasn't he? Your mind is whirling with figures as you hang up the phone. Hurry across town toward the little shop in the Plaza Franchetti. Yes, there's over a quarter of a million dollars in that specially built briefcase under your arm, provided that the three people in the world who know the truth are discreet. That's the only gamble, isn't it, John? You and Donati and Brickley, the New York broker. With three who know, there's always a chance one might talk. You turn a corner into the plaza, wondering if Brickley had thought of that one. The answer comes suddenly. The crowd is gathered at the front of Donati's shop. Well, what's the matter? What happened here? Uh, keep that, please. What is it, officer? What happened? Uh, the proprietor of this shop, a Signor Donati, was shot. This you, Potter? Yes, John, go ahead. Uh, looks like the deal's off. What happened? Well, we were a little late. Brickley got there first, huh? Yeah, Brickley got there first. Well, thanks for the offer, Potter, but I won't need the money now. I'm on my way to New York. With the prologue of A Woman's Privilege, the Signal Oil Company brings you another strange story by The Whistler. It's only three days from Venice to New York by plane. But it seems a great deal longer, doesn't it, John? You try to concentrate on other things, but your mind keeps going back to your suitcase in the luggage compartment. To the masterful piece of forgery sewed in its lining that will bring at least a quarter million on the American market. Yes, Donati was clever, wasn't he, John? Too clever. And to you, at least, it's clear that this Brickley whoever he is, knew that a clean deal could never be made if the secret of the forgery were shared. And that, of course, added up to Donati's murder. All right, let's take a break here on The Whistler from February 17th, 1947, A Woman's Privilege, starring Betty Lou Gearson and John McIntyre, sponsored by Signal. Uh, Signal Oil is heard on CBS. All right, this is Hollywood 360. I'm Carl Amari. Lisa Wolf is on vacation. She's in Florida enjoying a week off. And my good pal, Mike Stark, is here. We're talking trivia. And I just want to remind our listeners that we have a Facebook page for this program. 
all kinds of things. Anything you want to know about this show, just uh, go to Facebook and search Hollywood 360 Radio. We also have a Twitter, which is at H360 Radio. Um, we also have a website. That's very important for you to know because a podcast of this show is available just a couple of days after we air it across the country. We have 100 stations carrying the show, and uh, we air we air we, uh, live on Saturday nights. Your station may not carry it on Saturday, but on Monday, just a couple of days after we broadcast, it's podcast for the world at Hollywood360radio.com. You'll never miss an hour of Hollywood 360. We also put a bonus hour of old-time radio on there, so you will want to check it out. Just go to Hollywood360radio.com, Hollywood360radio.com. Everything you want to know about this show is there or at our Facebook page. Check it out. When we come back, it's the conclusion to The Whistler. Stick around. Mike Stark, Mike Gastella, and I will be right back. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Brought to you by Reader's Digest. All right, Mike, before we get back into the Whistler, I have a trivia question for you. Yep, what is it, Carl? All right, so what song, what song won a Grammy, won a Grammy Award, and it only has one word in it, and it's repeated over and over and over and over and over. Do you have any idea? Gloria may spell it out. Yellow. No, no, uh, no. That's not it. No, no, did no. Do you think any of the listers might know? Uh, think about this now. A, a Grammy uh, Award winner. I'll give you a hint. It was like in the 1960s. Would Adam West know? Yes, Adam West would know. Yes, definitely he would. So let's, uh, should we play that for our listeners? You got it handy? And who uh, who wrote this? Nefty. Who did? Nefty. Neil Hefty. Yeah, Neil Hefty. <laughs> Nefty. No, Neil Hefty. 1966, and it did win a Grammy. It's the, it's the only word they say in the whole thing is, is Batman. I believe you're correct. Let's listen to it for a couple seconds. Okay. It's kind of redundant. There's some good drums in there, you know? I like it. They're coming. Okay, listen to the drums. Oh, yeah. Oh, and that, it gets jazzy here, right? Yeah. That might be John Bonham on drums. <laughs> All right. Okay. Excellent, Mike. Thank you. All right. Yeah, that's a good trivia question right there. All right. Let's get back now to The Whistler. You have a surprise for Brickley, haven't you, John? But you know you have to be careful. On the afternoon of your arrival in New York, you walk down the corridor of an apartment building in the East 70s. Pause. Press a buzzer. Yes? Uh, I'm looking for Mr. C.L. Brickley. Oh, what did you wish to see Mr. Brickley about? A personal matter. Is he in? Just what is it you're selling, Mr. Uh... Winters, John Winters. Uh, Well, I'm really not selling anything. I guess this suit does need pressing, but it's really not that bad, Miss... Brickley. Oh? His daughter? I'm C.L. Brickley. What? Himself. Well, 
A woman. Uh, yes, but a woman who isn't interested in a vacuum cleaner at the moment. Perhaps some other time, Mr. Williams. <laughs> All right, Miss Brickley. Have it your way. A friend of mine told me you had a picture or two that might interest me. And Wait I thought... a minute. What kind of a picture? I'm collecting Italian Renaissance. You? Uh, honest C.L., I've got 11 other suits. If I'd known I was calling on such a beautiful businessman. I'm sorry, Mr. Winters. Please come in. Shall I bring my vacuum cleaner? No charge for the demonstration. <laughs> I said I'm sorry. Come in. Please, sit down. Thank you. Ah, is this your place of business? Yes. I'm a broker, Mr. Winters. I see. You, uh... Mentioned Italian Renaissance. Just what did you have in mind? Venetian school, in particular. Oh. You know, of course, authentic Venetian things run a little high. How high? $300,000. That's high enough. What is it? A Montaigne. Now, wait a minute. Yes, I know it's hard to believe. It came to light during the war. I was very lucky. You're positive it's authentic? Do you want to see it? No, that won't be necessary. Let me check my briefcase here. I have the picture in my safe. I can uh, get it out. Just a minute. Yeah, here we are. How do you like this one? Where did you get that? Same place you got yours, Miss Brickley. Same artist, same convincing technique. Who are you? Winters. The name's Winters. That's not what I mean. Where did you come from? Don't worry about me, lady. I'm authentic. Let's stick to the Montaigne's, hmm? All right, Mr. Winters. Uh, just how many of these are floating around? Two. And how many know about the... Uh... Forgery? Two. You and me. That is, since you took care of Donati. That's a little crude. All right, so you had it done. What's the difference? That still leaves two. You'd be smart enough not to give the hired help your reasons. You've got it all figured out, haven't you? That's water over the dam. Let's talk about the pictures. We're hooked with each other, you know that. That might not be so bad, Mr. Winters. I'd better make it John. All right, John. You know, we've got a lot to talk over, C.L. Yes, I know. But since you're not quite the kind of a guy I expected to meet, why don't we switch the conference to a nightclub? I'd like that. Okay, pick you up around eight? Fine. Oh, uh, well, don't worry. About what? I'll wear another suit. One that's pressed. You don't dance at all like a stuffed shirt. <laughs> you like? I like. Tell me more. Hmm, not at a business conference. Oh, that again. Ray Brickley. Why, darling, where have you been? Hello, Mrs. Garden. It's one of my clients. Mm-hmm. But am I going to see you, dear? It's been an age. Well, I may have something to show you in a few days. Good. Don't forget me, will you? <laughs> Don't worry. Mrs. Carlton, you didn't tell me about her. She has money, darling, but not the kind we're after. Who does it boil down to? They're pretty hard to find, you know. People who put out half a million for a pair of paintings. I put out a couple of feelers this evening before you arrive. I, I beg your pardon, Miss Brickley. Yes? Uh, there's a call for you, a Mr. Gross. Mr. Gross, what is it? Who's Mr. Gross? He's uh, one of the clients I told you about. He said it was quite important, Miss. Yes, of course. Excuse me, John, I'll be right back. 
She gives your hand a little squeeze as she turns to leave the floor. Floats past the row of ringside tables and out of the room. She is beautiful, isn't she, John? Slim, graceful. The satin of her evening gown clinging to her like a glistening white sheet. And for the moment, you forget everything else. The Montaigne's, the half million, the wealthy clients, everything. Everything, that is, except that you're dealing with a killer who's as sure as you are that those paintings can never be sold as long as there are two minds in the world who know their forgeries. If only she weren't so breathtaking, so beautiful. What's on your mind, John? (laughs) Don't get up. Miss me? Naturally. Uh, What about Mr. Gross? Oh, uh, that was nothing. You said he was a client. What's on his mind? Oh, he's uh, interested in Renaissance art, you know. Good. He knows about the Montaigne's? More or less. What do you mean, more or less? I told him I had something that would interest him. Make an appointment? Yes. As I told him, I'd get in touch with him in a day or two. Oh, let's forget about business for now, shall we? The music's so wonderful. And I do love to dance with you, John. You wish the rain didn't affect you this way. That you could approach the whole thing with a clear head. But it's something you've never known before, really. The music. The vibrant, thrilling feeling that sweeps over you as you dance with her. Her warm, low voice in your ear. But no matter how much you tell yourself that business is business, the feeling's still there the next morning when you arrive at her apartment. You pause for a moment before you ring. Decide once again that nothing must stand in the way of the picture deal and the half million dollars. Hello, partner. Hmm. Partner? Any objections? Didn't know I made the grade. Oh, you have, definitely. Oh? Come in. Got something to show you. Thanks. I didn't expect to find you in a laboratory, Apron. What's going on? What's this? My laboratory. I've been putting your Montaigne over the jumps. Jumps? Mm, I photographed it. Three ways. X-ray, ultraviolet, and infrared. The negative's over on the rack, drying. Well... Then I checked the colors with alcohol. Donati's a clever man. Was. If you insist. Yes, Donati was a clever man. Don't you think you might have been a little hasty in letting him go? Still accusing me, hmm? I can add up a column of figures as well as the other guy. All right, John, have it your way. I guess you were smart, though, it was a sure bet with one picture. With two, it's a gamble, isn't it? More than that... Let's not talk about that anymore. I don't want to be cruel. Just practical. Uh, cigarette? Thanks. Well, what's next on the program, beautiful? Mr. Gross? I... I don't know, John. What do you mean, you don't know? You're not getting cold feet, are you? You said he was interested. Yes, I know, but I... Well, that's good enough for me. If you don't want to see him, I will. John, John, we've got to trust each other now. You know that. Just make an appointment with that guy for me. I want to see him. John, I don't know why I'm saying this. I've never said it before, but I... What is it? We could be awfully good friends. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's wonderful. I'm I'm very flattered. I got to be careful, though, you know, playing with dynamite. John, I... I'm talking about Donati. You did it once. You could do it again. I'm talking about us and what good friends we could be. We'll discuss that at length after you get the pictures. The pictures? What for? Wrap them up, darling. We're going down to the Pennsylvania station. Yes, sir. I want to check this package. John, what are you doing? Uh, just a minute. Here, uh, here you are, clerk. Ten dollars. Ten? <laughs> what do I do? Just give me the claim check. Okay. There you are. Now watch. I tear it in half, see? Here, Lorraine, that's yours. What are you doing? Wait a minute, mister. Put a I note don't... on the package, will you? You deliver it only when both halves of the claim check are presented. You get it? But that's screwy. We don't You do want this... that ten bucks? Okay, mister, you're the boss. Thanks. Come on, Lorraine. You know, I think this is all pretty silly. Maybe it is. I do a lot of silly things for a quarter of a million bucks. But don't get me wrong, Angel. I trust you like my own mother. I'll just trust you a lot more after you fix up that appointment for me with your friend, Mr. Gross. Uh, how soon can you make it? Why, well, I, I don't know, John. I'm not sure. Uh, I... Let me handle it, then. When can you get hold of him? I'll call him tomorrow. It isn't easy, is it, John? You leave her standing there in the station, fighting to get her out of your mind, your heart, knowing that you must never let her come between you and the business at hand, the appointment with Mr. Gross. The next evening, you go to her apartment, determined to see it through. As you walk down the hall, the door is open slightly. You hear her talking on the telephone. You stop still and listen. No, there isn't going to be any deal, Mr. Gross. Forget I ever told you to come here at 11. It's off. Yes, I know what I told you, but that was before and I... Well, it's different now. I'm changing my plans. Yes, that's right. It's got to be this way for the present. Right. Goodbye. You stand there for a full minute thinking. Then make up your mind. Two can play that kind of a game, can't they, John? And you know the one who wins is the one who gets there first. Yes? It's me, C.L., your partner. Oh, John, come in. Where have you been all day? Why don't you call a guy? I've been waiting to hear from you. Did you get hold of Gross? Uh... Yes. He's not interested, John. Funny. That looked like a sure thing, didn't it? Guy has money, crazy about Italian pictures. Well, there'll be others. Sure. Just take a little time, huh? It'll be worth it. I suppose it will. How about a drink? Um, I've got the car outside. Nice night. I thought you might like to go for a drive. Sounds wonderful. Maybe over to Jersey, huh? Across the George Washington Bridge? I'll get my coat. Only be a minute. Oh, take your time. No hurry. It doesn't take long, does it, John? Now that you've made up your mind to it, just a few miles of riding, talking idly, with the automatic hidden down beside you in the seat. Occasionally, you glance from the road at her beautiful face in the moonlight. 
That's something you'll never forget. That face with the moonlight working magic with her hair. It even looked beautiful a half hour later when you looked at it for the last time. Only then it was very still with the quiet wax-like beauty of death. An hour later, you have dropped the automatic into the river and you're back at her apartment. Both halves of the claim check in your pocket, going through the wastebasket next to the telephone. Find the thing. Ah, here it is. A little slip of paper with the name Gross and the telephone number. Hello? Uh, Mr. Gross? He'll be back in a minute. I'm calling for C.L. Brickley. Uh, give Mr. Gross this message, will you? Go ahead. Miss Brickley says the appointment's on again. She changed her mind. Eleven o'clock at the apartment. Right. Eleven o'clock at the apartment. Yes. It was a long trail that finally ended in that police station near the East River. A trail that began in Venice, with an artist who painted a pair of pictures in the manner of Montaigne and died because of them. Lieutenant Brady of Homicide has done his job now. The suspect has finally begun to crack. Oh, stop it, will you? Stop it. All right, I'll stop it. You ready to talk? Yeah. Yeah, I'll talk. Turn off the lights. Right, Lieutenant. All right. Let's have it, Mr. Gross. The guy in Italy. Donati. I killed him for the Brickley Dame. Money? Yeah. What else? Why did she want him dead? I don't know why. I didn't ask no questions. She sent me over to Italy to get him, and I did. When I got back, she called me and said there was one more job to do. Money again, huh? Yeah. But she called up the night I was supposed to bump the second guy and said the job was off. I went out, and when I got back, there was a message it was on again. Go on. And I... I wish to pick him up at her apartment at 11 o'clock. When I come by from... He was waiting there in front of the apartment. Big as life. So that's how you happened to murder John Winters. That's it. I guess the Brickley dame changed her mind. Let that whistle be your signal for the signal oil program, The Whistler, each Monday at 9... Brought to you by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of Signal gasoline and motor oil and fine quality automotive accessories. Signal has asked me to remind you to get the most driving pleasure, drive at sensible speeds, be courteous, and obey traffic regulations. It may save a life, possibly your own. Featured in tonight's story were Betty Lou Gerson and John McIntyre. The Whistler was produced by George W. Allen with story by Brian Thorne, music by Wilbur Hatch. 
and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is Marvin Miller speaking for the Signal Oil Company. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's the Whistler, February 17, 1947, A Woman's Privilege, starring Betty Lou Gearson. And, uh, Mike, I want to thank you for being on the show, uh, pitch hitting for Lisa Wolf on this edition of Hollywood 360. And Mike and I have been friends a long time, played baseball together, we're very, very, very close friends. And uh, we produced a uh, an audio Bible together called The Word of God. And uh, this is available at Walmart right now, right, Mike? It's available at like 700 Walmarts right now. Oh, wait, hang on a second. There you go. Say it again. Okay, it's available at Walmart and where some else, Carl? Kro- some yeah, Kroger. Kroger's. Yeah, it's uh, available. It's on. Um, it's twenty. It's uh, seven. It was at eighteen CDs, twenty-two hours. On eighteen CDs, it's the entire New Testament with huge name celebrities in it. Take a listen. Here's Stacy Keach and some other great actors in the Word of God. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There, they crucified him, and with him, two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote a title and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. The chief priests of the Jews then said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am king of the Jews. What I have written, I have written. All right, so check out Word of God. You can get it at Walmart. And it's on uh, 18 CDs, 22 hours, only only $29.99. And I think Walmart even sells it for less than that, right, Mike? So, uh, I think it's $30, uh, yeah. $29.95 or yeah. 99 or, But I think I, I Walmart sure. even sells it for a little less than that. I don't know that, what so. they sell it for. I haven't so seen, check I it out. Uh, Mike, uh, great having you on the show. Uh, Lisa will be back next week here on Hollywood 360. Let's take a break. Then it's more. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari, brought to you by Reader's Digest. Next week, Mr. and Mrs. Blandings, Broadway is my beat, the Cisco Kid, and the Mysterious Traveler. Mike, thanks for being on the show. Is Cesar Romero going to play the Cisco Kid? Yes, he is. (laughs) From my co-host, Lisa Wolf, who was on vacation. For Mike Stark, who pitch hit for her. Executive producer, Mike Costello. National movie critic, Sarah Adamson. Vince and Chris Lombardi. My crabby brother, Vince Amari. Adam West and me, Carl Amari. Thank you all very much for tuning in. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. Hollywood 360 with host Carl Amari is brought to you by Reader's Digest. To learn more about Hollywood 360 or to contact us, visit our website at hollywood360radio.com. Adam West speaking. 